What's up, y'all? My name is Jake. And my name is Carl. And you're listening to Do You Even Lift Bro? Men Exercising Social Justice. So thank you for tuning in. We really appreciate it. So today we have a guest joining us for our discussion. Say hi to the people's Christoph. Hey, hey, thanks so much for having me. You'll get to know Christoph a little bit more when we interview him later in this episode. For right now, we're going to be talking about uh, masculinities and slam poetry. How are you, Carl? Uh, I'm doing I'm doing pretty good, I think. I just literally hate the fall semester, so I'm pretty excited that we only have like a week and a half left of it. Yeah, the fall semester is shit. How are you, Jake? Um, Yeah, kind of tired, ready to be done. Like, I think a little bit like you, just basically riding the wave that we call f- fall semester. For sure. So slam poetry, huh? You have any experience with it? Nope. I <laughs> listen to some stuff and people are awesome at it, but I, I'm pretty bad at writing poetry so okay yeah i've always like fantasized even of reading other people's stuff like out on the plaza we've mentioned guante before he has some stuff that i would just like to yell across the peoples and then have like sheets of his words and hand those out like that's the sort of like initial thing i think about when slam poetry comes up is it's some level of activism it's some level of getting stories out there it's some level of subversion and taking art form into something that makes people think differently about themselves in the world. But that's also the way I choose to consume it. I'm guessing there's a lot of crap out there too. And crap as in like bullshit slam poetry. Yeah. But who knows? Maybe the art form is that kind of attractive to those types of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we have Christoph to help us <laughs> and provide some wisdom around what we call slam poetry. So I'm excited to see what, where he's at with that. Yeah, I hope I hope I have something good to say. I don't I don't actually feel like much of an expert. That's okay. Neither yeah. are we. Yeah, neither <laughs> are we. But you have experience, so. So, Christoph, what identities are salient to you? I am. Uh, let's see. The the most salient identities. I'm I'm a white man. Um, I identify as having depression and anxiety. Um, intrusive thoughts. Um, let's see what else. I identify on the queer spectrum. Yeah, that, that's enough. Awesome. I, um, yeah, I think I think that's pretty good. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, thank you for sharing. <laughs> so if we were to define slam poetry, if that's even possible, if that's like actually anti-slam poetry, I get it. But if there's a definition for slam poetry, what would it be? Um, no, I think I think you can define slam poetry. It's not like um, an anarchy sort of thing. Slam poetry, it's it's a form of, of poetry, obviously. Um, it uh, it was it was started you know, kind of formally uh, in the 80s by uh, this guy, Mark Smith. Uh, and it, it was kind of around the idea that taking poetry back to the people. Um, so I think it's always in its roots had sort of a subversive sort of um, speaking truth foundation to it. It's got a lot of uh, of roots in like countless subcultures. And the whole idea of poetry goes back to ancient times, I guess, yep. really. And what you said earlier about it's a form of self-expression that gets at trying to show your truth and uh, show uh, a realism that maybe other people don't immediately see. And I think that's what's important. The way I consume media as like a mixed dude, mm-hmm. I was actually really surprised to find out that Mark Smith is someone that I perceive to be a white man. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, what the? F-? I almost felt betrayed, actually. Oh, yeah. Because... I don't know. Maybe that's my own. Like, I was really hoping that this would be sort of a POC type of thing. Mm. But then I translated over to like, wait, so I don't know. I don't know if we should credit him with invention necessarily, because yeah. I don't know if that's necessarily yeah. the case. But if we're going to do the Wikipedia definition of slam <laughs> poetry, that's the guy that we have to look at. right? Which, yeah, really. I mean, that that is the Wikipedia definition. And I, I would totally agree because I'm not a slam poetry historian that the art form and the, the stylistic way of performing slam poetry 
probably was started by someone else. Right. You know, Mark didn't get this from nowhere. He saw a need and made it publicized through his own power from his identities. I should actually go back and define what slam poetry is. Um, in a narrow definition, it's where you go up, you uh, you read really anything. The boundaries of what you have you can read are really wide. The idea was to kind of widen it out to include more than what the strictest academic version of what poetry was. And you read in front of people, you read in front of your peers, uh, and your peers judge you. And that's something I really struggle with when I started out because I think a lot of people get started with artistic expression in general, wanting just to be heard. And so it's it's hard to get judged immediately. Okay, um, so there's a competitive nature to slam yes. poetry. Like that's a, par- a core part of it's it. It's a competitive in its core part, I think that slam poetry events is maybe different than slam poetry as a genre. Okay. And I think those two can be two different forms because if you go out and do a slam uh, event, you're going to be judged by five judges. Uh, the top score and the lowest score typically are are, uh, are deleted. And so you get a total score out of 30. But then, you know, there's, there's so many other places to read and you can perform slam poetry, not at a slam poetry event. Um, I think that's important because I think slam poetry and poetry in general need spaces that aren't judged okay cool yeah thank you and for because you said it's an event and it can be competitive is there any ties to masculinity personally for you mm. with the competition or for or from other folks that you might have witnessed does that make sense yeah yeah i think it's really interesting to see the spread of people who get up to share and for me my experience with it has been <laughs> i i'm still kind of terrified um to get up there and and read um but i think that's part of it because of why i love of doing poetry is because it makes me really excited. It makes me, uh, it's, it's, it's a real good thrill and gets my heart pumping to, to like show my emotions really visibly. I think there are, there have been a couple of occasions where I've been jealous, you know, maybe that's the right word or, or, or angry at yourself, at myself that I'm like, I don't have, why can't I tell my story? Like that person can tell their story. Mm, why don't okay. I have the, the, the voice or the words or the, uh, the, the emotional, um, energy that they are able to exude. I think that's, that's where some masculinity has, has kind of bubbled up for me. Masculinity comes up because you're unable to articulate emotions and feelings into words like you were seeing other people do, or is it sort of pure talent skill aspect of like i just don't think i can do that um i think there's there's aspects of both parts for me when you see someone really really good perform i think there is a feeling like i like that person gets me that's why that's why the slam home's good because they've touched on some sort of experience that you know uh and they were able to express it in a way that is vulnerable and is um is accessible to another person. In some ways, I think it's a masculine sort of feeling to, to like, oh, why can't I do that? I like, I should be able to do that. Right. Um, and then you want to, you want to take it. You want to take that ability. I think the aspect of how this ties into do you even lift, bro, of having to like stand in front of a group of people and just, as you described, just expose your entire self to be judged mm-hmm. um, is antithetical to the traditional way we think about masculinity right yeah. i also think there's nuances in there of is that thrill of recognition that thrill of potentially winning supersede the real work that can be done of being that vulnerable in front of that many people i don't know the answer to that because i've never actually fully experienced yeah that level of i don't know that's a great exposure. question yeah i've um i've never thought about that because i've 
I've never won except for once recently. I just won Congrats. the first time. Um, it was it was incredible. I think for me at least, I think how I feel about it, I, it doesn't feel about winning because okay. it, it wasn't the the thrill of winning wasn't as good as the thrill of knowing that people were feeling something at the same time as you. Because awesome. that is an amazing feeling to be like this is. This is uh, this is how I feel. You'll understand it. And maybe it's presumptuous of me to think that dudes can just walk in and win. Shit. Like <laughs> maybe like maybe if you enter in thinking I want to win some money here, some cash, but then like nobody just walks in and gets it done like that. You know what I mean? Oh, like yeah. that would be arrogant. That is finest. And so maybe the process of actually finally getting to the point of winning negates the point of winning uh. because you have to repeatedly reconstruct yourself and expose yourself yeah. over and over yeah. to various audiences before you even reach that point. Yeah. It took, um, I've been writing and reading for like six years now or so. And my style of poetry has changed a lot. And for one, only this year did I start using I with a capital I where this is me not behind a character, not behind a veil of you know words. Um, I think that's evident in why I did well recently is because I started reading poetry that was directly about me. But before, when I first started writing poetry, I, I loved the idea of telling stories of myself and the world, I guess, through characters. So a lot of times, if I were to use the I, it'd be kind of like a, a, a lowercase I because it, it's obvious it's not really me. Um, I'm using like a voice or I'm stylizing myself in a different way. And I could tell once I found my voice, when I, when I started using a, a capital I, my reading voice changed a lot uh, to something that like was was maybe more vulnerable. So you're saying the way your eyes are written on the paper come out differently because slam poetry is not a reading form, right? It's definitely a visual and sound form. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And so the difference between writing poetry and performing slam poetry is that I don't actually read what it is that you're reading. I have to experience your ability to do intonations mm -hmm. and emphasis and speed at certain points. And so can you connect for me a little bit more the significance of the capital I versus the lowercase mm -hmm. I as it comes to the medium of slam poetry oh, versus yeah. the written poetry? Sure. And I, I guess like when I'm writing poetry, I don't actually use like a lowercase or an uppercase. Okay. I. But, uh, you know, like the uppercase I meaning like this is me, this is actually me and it's obvious it's me. Okay. So when you're reading and when you're listening to a poem, I think that you can tell if the poem is good, if you can keep up with it. Right. If you're an audience member and you get lost because in the words, in the, in the story that the storyteller is trying to convey, it doesn't mean it's a bad poem, but I think the really good poems keep you connected emotionally in that way. You're, you, can, you can see yourself in the same words that they're speaking. So when I think about men specifically performing slam poetry, then how do you negotiate the line between this is my story that needs to be heard versus men's stories are literally written mm. in history books as we grow up. Men's stories are every direction that we look in. Men's stories are just history. Yeah. And so what's that like for a dude who's conscious of a lot of this? entering into the medium of slam poetry to tell more stories. Mm -hmm. I think when I first started reading and writing, I, I didn't, I wasn't thinking about that. Um, okay. Now that I've been around kind of the, the community more uh, of the slam community, it's obvious that this is a space that kind of isn't for me. 
uh, in many ways. It's really more of a place where people who aren't heard can be heard and and accepted and their their words are given value and and the audience graciously wants to raise those unheard words up to visibility. So me, I think I think recently I've I've been thinking about how much I go out and read and how much space I take up when I read, I guess. I definitely don't know the answer of how much yeah. I should be reading. <laughs> For sure. How often I should go out. But I do know that being able to express my emotions like this, uh, my feelings and experiences is important and valid as a man to, uh, to as an example, like maybe to other men to openly show the parts of me that I'm scared to show, especially in front of other men and, and people that, that I don't know, I guess. Yeah, right. Like that's perfect. The kind of the point of this podcast is we see this man box, right? We yeah. hear all these stories all the time about men and how they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And slam poetry seems like a location where we get to really shake up and complicate this notion of what it means to be a man. And that's probably just, you're not going to hear a slam poetry that goes like, I'm really great. It's super easy for me. It's fun being a dude. I can get away with anything. Like that's that's never gonna happen, right? <laughs> <laughs> Probably, or <laughs> or it's gonna get booed off the stage potentially. Maybe no snaps. Maybe, but you are going to hear our stories, hopefully, of men who are standing up to other men, hmm. of men who are survivors of sexual violence that don't hmm. feel like they have a voice anywhere else. You're gonna hear stories of men who have gone through experiences that we don't hear about because it's not considered manly or not mm. mainstream. Um, and I think that's where some of the power is in this idea of slam poetry and poetry as a whole mm. in terms of complicating the concept of the man box. Oh yeah, I think you kind of touch on I when you asked me to do this this podcast, I was kind of doing some some research and uh, came across some interesting uh, literature on on using poetry with men and boys to work on kind of some of these ideas of broadening their emotional landscape. Uh, there, there's one I, I wrote down about Furman and Dill. Uh, they, they had this, this study in 2016 where they, they looked at poetry therapy um, as, as this way of allowing men and boys to explore this. And some of the responses they got from the participants showed that the idea of poetry was this affront to the identity of being man. That's um, nuts. <laughs> yeah, because it, it, Poetry demands if you're gonna write real poetry. Um, that's real. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah. What's not, what's fake poetry? Jesus. <laughs> I, I, I was trying Stop to it. I was trying to reel back that word right when I said it. Yeah. Every, every poetry is real poetry. Right. <laughs> um, uh, but to write poetry that is genuine. There that, you go. That has authenticity. You can't only express anger. Uh, you can't only express you know apathy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Otherwise, no one's gonna listen to you. Yeah. <laughs> Because you talked about a little further back about the capital I, right? And so what's the distinction between you playing a character as this, as a poem, as in a poem and your authentic self? Like where are, what are some ways that if me walking into a coffee shop and hearing you for the first time and never knowing what this is, how could I recognize that it was authentically you? Oh yeah. Early on, I was really, really inspired by more musicians and the way that they write. Um, especially David Bowie, because the way that he um, assumes a character 
and kind of becomes that person to express himself. Uh, I thought that w- I thought was fascinating. Um, and so, you know, I've, I have poems like this one. It's called Memories of a Madman. And I use an accent and uh, I, I take up, you know, I, I, I hold myself differently. Whereas if I'm going to read these other poems that are ri- that I've written this year, you can see how my body is different on stage. Uh, my voice is different on stage. It's definitely it's like it's like me amplified. And I think I think there's an, there's a feeling of you can just tell it's me more possibly yeah yeah it's it's more like you showing up in your pajamas rather than as an actor with a costume on for sure is there anything else that you want to talk about slant poetry and masculinity specifically before you and i think you know while thinking about this topic i think the main point that i really wanted to get across is how important this exercise of poetry is to men maybe not poetry in it of itself but the exercise of emotional literacy emotional vulnerability and also expression of more than just emotions but uh expression of who are you what are your experiences what have you done where have you seen like where have you gone in your life. And, uh, and I, I think I connected this to this joke that I sometimes hear about how men ex- can express anger and apathy are the only kind of ex- emotions that they can feel and how that's, how that's really dangerous to have half of the population trying to squeeze their whole palette of feelings into uh, two bottles that are going to break. Um, and when things break, it gets violent. And that is the danger is, is that men that aren't able to be emotionally expressive become expressive violently, I think. Yeah. Doing social justice work as men looks like becoming more emotionally intelligent and exploring what that means and how that works. Yeah, absolutely. And poetry is an incredible medium to do that through, Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. And I think we also mentioned um, in our uh, foundations podcast about how men harm themselves and others mm-hmm. and how I think this podcast brings up a good point about how I guess it's a process for it. I guess even all three of us in the room to even kind of go through that and see how we harm ourselves and others. Yeah. Um, so I think that's awesome that you've kind of brought that point of like the bottles breaking because mm-hmm. then you're harming yourself and then it kind of spreads. Yeah. I, I mean, the way that that we do this as a society, I guess, is um, it's a policing of men's emotions in some way um, where we stamp down this ability in us and others, other men, by mutilation of ourselves, our, our souls, our personhood. And it doesn't allow us as men to be real people. Agreed. I mean, thanks for sharing with us around the connections between slam poetry and masculinity. Yeah. Now we would like to interview you and get to know you a little bit more. Right. Does that work? Yes. All right, cool. Do you mind telling us about your journey through masculinity yeah. up to this point? Uh-huh. Um, let's see. I think, you know, I, I think back to, I guess, trying to compare who I am now or who I think I am now and who I was maybe in high school or when I first started college. So I'm, I'm in graduate school now. So it's been seven years or so since I, you know, moved away from home and high school. And through all, of, I think, those experiences through college and through seeing and hearing other people's experiences uh, and being involved in things like Man in the Movement uh, has really changed who I am, what I think about, and what I think or how I think that my own actions and words affect other people. And I think that's an important aspect of my journey through masculinity is taking ownership of how who I am and how I act, how those affect other people, um, especially within the, the lens of me as a man. So knowing you, like, I can't fathom you not ever actually owning up to, like, 
your actions and mistakes. So was there a time in your life where you were like that or what was that dynamic like? I'm still trying not to do that. Okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I have a big problem with trying to perfect things in life and trying to, and and I think with that territory comes defensiveness of Mm -hmm. of not being perfect. Um, And I think that leads me to so many bad places uh, with how I view myself, but also like how I relate to other people in, in that, you know, I, I talk about one of the poems, like still learning how to apologize. And I have written down on my phone, like the anatomy of an apology, just so I can try and remember how do you own up to shit that will make the other person know that you are trying and that you, you mean to make the change and that you're not putting the blame back onto them. And that's hard. It's good that you're like at least recognizing that you need to say sorry and you know that you need to um, apologize. I yeah. Think I think that's important because I think a lot of men don't like, <laughs> yeah, don't agreed. think about it because they're like, oh yeah, I didn't do any harm. Yeah. I'm, bliv- I'm oblivious right. to the harm that I caused. Right. Yeah. So. so what I'm hearing is a fairly atypical masculine experience growing up. Oh man. I think growing up, uh, I grew up in a military family, um, which I wouldn't, it's not like what I'm um, like a military family from like the TV shows. Um, that's not my dad. But what we did have is the military sort of culture of asking for help is not okay. Okay. Um, if you can do it yourself, then that's the way to do it, which, you know, is a man thing okay. all over. It's yeah. written all over that. And the military is pretty a man thing too. Yep. Um, and you can see that in the effects of the, the whole concept of war and military, but also the culture within the military and how that has affected people who don't have power within that structure. But we're getting away from the topic. Um, yeah, from you. <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, I grew up, um, I'm a middle child of three boys and I learned a lot of how to be a man from men that don't show who they really are or don't allow for vulnerability to happen, which, you know, kind of like elevates in, I guess in my, in my younger mind, elevated them to be above in some way. Okay. Um, which now, you know, that sounds really weird. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, but I, I think it's important to recognize the way you used to think. So you place a lot of value in like stoicism and toughness in a sense. Or... <clears throat> yeah, I think, um, you know, not not in a physical toughness, but in an emotional toughness, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Um, especially in, in ways of like leadership and the role models I think I've I've looked to over the years have been men that don't let other people into the, see who they really are or who, mm. who not not who they really are as if they're like hiding something, but to allow other people to to be with them vulnerably. Was there like a moment in your life that was kind of like kind of changed the way you thought about your masculinity and your identities? Mm. Um, was there a time where like, shit, I need to get on this. I need to maybe change. I think those moments happen more than once and continue to happen until you die. Right. <laughs> there so. like one like definitive moment that you're like, I need to, I need to just start need- learning this or start doing something. I think it just began, it like continued to mount. Um, mm. I think a lot of things have contributed to that with, I think, you know, I, I uh, previously worked with uh, sex offenders and seeing it, it's seen working 24 seven almost with someone who has taken control from someone else in a really vile way. Um, um, it, it's, it's, it's like magnifying those aspects of the rest of the world. So you can see them really, really clearly, I guess. Um, mm. 
And so they're, they're easier to identify in, in yourself, I think. The ways in which you contribute to a patriarchy or uh, a rape culture um, or, or just the, the marginalization of other people. And <laughs> I don't know, I'm rambling now. Yeah. <laughs> That's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. I think the, like the, the journey through the, uh, I, I think it's, it's like exemplified in the poems that I've written over the years and what I'm thinking about, what I'm focusing on and, uh, and what I want to say, I think. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Do you have some poetry for us? <laughs> I can read poems. Yeah. Awesome. This one's called The American Man. I have never needed help from anyone. I am the pioneer, the spaceman, the mountaineer. I'm an independent, an individual illustration of self-empowerment. I am the tan-faced boy with pop guns and wood stick swords. I'm an upstart, a self-made man on an island of one, and I have a wardrobe that stands alone. It's full of power ties for power deals. I've got elbow pads. I've got shoulder pads. I've got bootstraps for my bootstraps. For all the boots my daddy gave me. It was a small loan, I'll tell you that much. Because I am the American man. Tall, proud, red-blooded American man. I grill my American beef with my American friends on my American grill. I am the American man. And I have never needed help from anyone. Everything I've done, I've done alone. I wake up alone and I feel the warm, comforting embrace of self-reliance. On cold winter nights, I snuggle up next to a hot cup of autonomy. On 4th of July, I peer into the sky waiting for fire and bombs to bring me independence. And when I stand, numb to the hands holding me up, that's when I know I'm free. Free to be the American man who is strong Perfect, powerful, who interrupts, who controls, who takes, who conquers, the American man, who can swim his way out of two rape charges, the American man, whose reward for sexual assaults is presidential, the American man, whose elevator domestic violence got him only a two-game suspension, the American man. This is the American man. Great again. This is masculinity great again. This is hurting women. This is hurting men. This is hurting everyone in between. This is manning up. This is emotionally shutting down. This is losing out on the girls who can cure cancer. This is losing out on the boys who need to write poetry when their mom gets cancer. This is losing out on love, on connection, on vulnerability. This isn't the story of faraway men. This isn't the story of television, newspaper, backwoods America men. This isn't the story of it won't happen to me. I'm a nice guy, not all men. This is the story of me. This is the story of you. And this is the story of America. That was awesome. So thank you for sharing. Um, we know that we're more than just our masculinities. So yeah. we want to ask you some unrelated questions. Okay. Is that okay? Absolutely. Awesome. So if you were to have one skill, what would it be? Like it, it can't be slam poetry. Like what, what do I want to be better at? What do we, yeah, what like do a skill, really talent, like something that you would like, wow, they're good at that. I, I want to be good at that. Man, I don't, I don't, I don't ever, I don't know the answer to this question. I, the first thing that popped in my head is that I've never been able to wakeboard. 
<laughs> nice. That's perfect. That's dope. <laughs> Every time I just I just drink a lot of water out of the lake, but never actually stand up. <laughs> as, as many times as I've tried, I've never stood up. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Do you brew or distill? I, I brew. It's illegal to distill. It's a, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, whoops. <laughs> so no. Okay, so hold on. Never hold distilled. on. <laughs> Do you brew some beer? Yeah, yeah. I've I've brewed for a while. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, I I've brewed beer and all sorts of other uh, fermentables. I um I like to make kimchi and so that's that's a type of fermentation beer i love i love to bake and uh, every year i make dandelion wine too which is where you take a whole bunch of dandelions and and this kind of goes back to if i have like here's here's a quick tangent but uh <laughs> there's the story of uh of my dad um uh, going over to this relative's house um uh the the carols uh, which are you know a part of our family in some way and there's a story of the curse of the carols where all of these horrible things always happen to this side of the family the carols like like some of them got electrocuted to death their house burned down and or like exploded at one point someone got um uh poisoned and uh, lightning bolted if that's a Damn. thing <laughs> um and so you know i think when the last of them died my dad went over to their place with uh my grandfather and in the attic the story that my dad told me was uh you know they went upstairs and uh granddad was like oh look look there's that bottle there that's a bottle of dandelion wine so ever since i heard that story i started brewing dandelion wine every year um as a kind of idea like it would it would stave off the curse of the carols that got passed down <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> yeah. so do you have a favorite one of your brews that you kind of always do or you constantly kind of moving on i'm con- yeah I, okay. I don't i've never brewed the same thing twice except for the dandelion right. wine which is a, a kind of yearly tradition now so I, I really like belgian beer though um so that's i think that was one of my favorites that i ever made and a beer that i put beet juice in which was a clone of um the zombie dust ipa and i called it the dead beat ipa <laughs> <laughs> okay all right yeah. do you have did you have any pets growing up <laughs> yeah, I, um, I've I've never been a huge uh, animal person actually, which is funny because I do like equine assisted therapy research now. Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, which yeah, I, I like I never really rode a horse like seriously, but you no, know, we had a dog. Um, but I think when I was younger, we had what are they called? Like um, hermit crabs, except they would always crawl out of the the tank and then die in, behind the door. <laughs> So, I don't know. That sounds fun. <laughs> Great. I don't know what kind of like. I don't know if they didn't like our hospitality. <laughs> okay. Something about us. They didn't. I mean, literally drove them. <laughs> wow. Uh, this is a two-parter. Okay. Have you read Harry Potter? I have read Harry Potter. You have? Yes. Okay. I think this is your question. But in what room in Hogwarts would you have sex in? <laughs> Um, I thought you're so. Did, did you know that I? Question. Did you know oh. I? I, um, I thought you were going to ask me that because I. Did you know I started the Quidditch team on at CSU? No kidding. Yeah. Okay. It's, no, it's, that was completely unrelated. <laughs> but that's awesome too. Uh, yeah, I started the Quidditch team my sophomore year of uh, college back in oh, 2012. Man. They're still going on. Yeah, it is. Um, so that's cool. Uh, we got CSU lore right over here. Yeah, that's awesome. Wow. One time, one time I was sitting out in the plaza and they were taking a tour, like a tour group around. And back in the day, I used to dress up to kind of publicize the team. And so I was pointing out, and I was like, "Here's Harry Potter." That's like, like fascinating. <laughs> I never really thought about you looking like Harry Potter until this very moment. Well, it helps if you have like the whole get up. You know? Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. But all right. Anyway, so we're anyway, not answering that question. Is that what I'm hearing? I, I could answer the question. I, I um, <laughs> the the like herbology uh greenhouses 
Okay. Nice. <laughs> Can I ask up. why? <laughs> it just that seems nice. You know the smell of like soil. Yeah. Okay. That's like a you know comfortable. Uh, unless it really um, smells. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> well, just kidding. Just plant plants are are like nice. Plant, plants you know, are plants have a good environment. It's it's. It's true. All right. Well, I had one more question. What's your favorite sound? <sighs> yeah. It's not I, like the sound of Expelliarmus or something like that. No, I. Sound of the quaffle hitting the goalpost. I don't even think about Harry Damn. Potter anymore. <laughs> I really need to read slash watch Harry Potter more. <laughs> kind of out of the loop. You started the fuck. That's fuck. Yeah, I did. Started the Quidditch League. Yeah, okay, okay. damn. I uh, I played. I was <laughs> I the goalie, and then I stopped because I was a little bit worried about injury. Well, you know, like repetitive <laughs> mini concussions. You know, from because when you play goalie, I, I've never played a contact sport before, so uh, there's no way to defend three hoops where you can throw the ball through them from either side. It's just not. It's not like soccer. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. I just tackled everybody, and I'm not <laughs> to be a tackler. Okay. <laughs> I didn't realize tackling wasn't within the rules. You but. Do, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's brutal. <laughs> I like, I like, I had this huge gash on my leg once because I broke my broom. It just okay. broke and there's just, Wait, so you my leg open. tackle. Okay. Anyway, whatever. That's, <laughs> I, I think we're good my, with this rapid fire question. Yeah. We have enough good content I there. I want to ask you a couple of those later in person, <laughs> yeah. but <laughs> I'm right, wondering right. if someone swallowed the snitch. Um, <laughs> ever. Um, okay. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Don't know. All right. Do you want to close this out, Carl? <laughs> anyway, thank you, Christoph, so much for being here. We really, really appreciate you sharing yourself. It was a lot of us. fun. Very good. Yeah. Fun. Thank you so much, man. Like, it's brought up awesome knowledge to the podcast. Cool. So, I'm, yeah, it was, it was really nice to read with you guys. Stay tuned after the outro to hear one more of Christoph's poems. That will do it for this episode of Do You Even Lift, Bro? Men Exercising Social Justice. If you have feedback, thoughts, comments, questions, or want to be interviewed for a podcast, please email WGAC at colostate.edu. That's WGAC at C-O-L-O-S-T-A-T-E dot E-D-U. Huge shout out to the partnership between the Women and Gender Advocacy Center and KCSU here at Colorado State University. These are the folks that even allow us to do this podcast. For more content about masculinities, check out meninamovement.blogspot.com. And for more information about the WGAC, go to wgac.colostate.edu. For more KCSU content, go to kcsufm.com. And the music production here is done by Xavier Hadley, aka Zabley. Check him out at soundcloud.com slash Xavier Hadley. That's X-A-B-I-E-R-H-A-D-L-E-Y. Thanks for listening, y'all. Deuces. Peace. This is called, I wanted to write a poem. I wanted to write a poem that would say everything that needed to be said. A poem that would explain all the things that don't make sense so that we could look at each other, maybe in the eyes, and know that we were understood. A poem that would bring us together around the same emotional campfire and to see that it lights up in more than just our own eyes. I wanted to write that poem. But today, all I have is this one. I wanted to write a poem that would write all my wrongs as if lines and rhymes and self-referential lines could ever say what I failed to do. A poem that could carry all the feelings I didn't know how to hold because they were shaped in ways I wasn't taught to understand. And even if I could write that poem, would I know how to say the words? I wanted to write a poem that would take us into far-flung mountains to meet young sailors who wanted more than anything to become captains. 
a poem that would pluck us out of our small lives, away from our big worries, to make us forget that we weren't famous, to give us a home out among the stars, and even if there was a poem like that, the page always has to end somewhere. I wanted to write a poem that would thank everyone who's ever helped me. A poem for the friends who come to your house when you can't get out of bed and bring you a bagel with cream cheese and egg because there are some things you do just to see how bad they'll make you feel. And even if a thank you poem could ever be enough, I'd still have trouble asking for help. I wanted to write a poem for all the people who are memorialized in an email. A poem for those who are the subject line after a tragedy whose vigils gets overshadowed by talking points in history. You aren't forgotten by the ones who love you, even if you feel lonely in crowds. And even if a poem could be a eulogy, it wouldn't be enough to read it once. I wanted to write a poem that felt like a song. A poem written in the key of me with the time signature of us, conducted by the moment we sit in right now. You are the notes, and I'll be the tempo. Let's dance. Cause there's music to be danced to, and if we don't start moving our feet, what would James Brown think? He would think, why didn't you write that poem? Was it because you were scared? Was it because you were scared of saying, I feel this way, I feel this way, and I need to know that someone else does too to validate that we share in this complicated, convoluted, crazy, wonderful world of this? I wanted to write that poem. But today, all I have is this one. <laughs>